morning I'm going to be in John the 8th chapter. And uh, we're going to talk about that, those verses this morning. <clears throat> and hopefully my voice will last. If not, I'll have to have somebody come up here and read my notes. <laughs> Val could, because he's already got a copy of them anyway. He can read them anyway. So anyway, but that's where we're going to be this morning. John chapter 8. Now, Aaron Patterson was sentenced to die in 1986 for the murders of a Chicago couple. In one of his last official acts as governor of Illinois, George Ryan pardoned Patterson on January 10, 2003. Now, this was a story in a setting that, you know, they could make a movie out of, where the guy, he's sitting there on death row, and he's just waiting for his time to die. And then all of a sudden, that last-minute reprieve where the government, governor comes in and he signs the pardon for this guy, and he walks out a free man. Wow, that's quite a story. Now, of course, when we, we hear these kind of things, we kind of assume that maybe uh, somehow or other the government, governor in this instance found out the guy was in, innocent. I have no idea. But the governor had the power to overturn his sentence. And so that was quite a thing. Here you go from death row to the, uh, the streets and freedom. That's quite a jump, quite a change. But see, that's kind of what we're going to talk about this morning. But, um, and we talk about a pardon. We I said, I don't know whether this guy was in, innocent or not. Well, what about the people that are guilty? That's kind of a different scenario. I don't think I'd want to pardon somebody that's guilty. Especially it was my, my family or something that this guy supposedly killed. But anyway, we're going to be in John, the 8th chapter, starting in the verse, verse 1. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd, a crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of, the, of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus... This woman was caught in the very act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, this is quite a scene. I know we can't really grasp, but we had a uh, play that we did in, in Salt Lake called Master Mender around Easter time. And in this scene, we, we see the woman brought in. But, you know, we kind of, with our minds, we just imagine, well, here we go. Come on in. We're going to bring you over here type of scenario. And we don't see the action that was probably involved in this scene. In our play, we had this woman, and she was hanging on to pews, and she was grabbing everything that she could grab, and she was fighting for her life when they were dragging her down the aisle to bring her to Jesus in the play. And finally, when they get her up there, then they throw her down. 
I mean, and this was a very active scene. And she told them, I don't want you to be gentle with me because this scene would not have been a gentle scene. If somebody's coming to haul me off to stone me because she knew the law. She knew she was going to be stoned, so she wasn't going to go willingly. So she was kicking and she was screaming and she was doing all kinds of things when they were grabbing her and carrying her to Jesus. And finally, they threw her down in his presence. Now, I don't even know whether this woman even had clothes on. That, I don't know. I, she might not have even been dressed. They might not have even cared enough to even give her something to cover herself up with. So I don't know. But in, in our play, from this scene, the lady that played this part, man, she got a lot of bruises from this, this particular scene because they wanted to make it as real as possible. And she said, don't be gentle with me because they weren't gentle with this woman at this scene. And that's the scene that we have. It wasn't just some little nice little Bible story that we tell how they brought the woman in and they said, her, here, Jesus, what do you want to do? And so we got to visualize that in our mind, the scene that was there. And it was a very traumatic event, not only to the woman, but the people that were around there because, whoa, what's going on here? This isn't something you see every day. Now, I, I personally wish they would do that maybe to Tiger Woods. <laughs> you know, we hear so much about Tiger Woods this, this last, you know, few months. And they're asking, you know, well, am I, are we going to forgive him? Are you guys going to forgive Tiger Wood? I said, what's it got to do with me? <laughs> Number one, I mean, I'm tired of hearing about it. But, you know, when I see this story, I say, man, let's, let's do this. <laughs> let's use this story and ask him how he feels about it. But anyway, that, that's a different thing. It's, it has nothing to do with what I was talking about this morning. But this is the scene that we have. And here we have this poor woman, and I don't know whether anyone in the crowd felt sorry for this woman or not. I don't know whether they did. Maybe somebody did. But here we have the religious leaders, Jesus and the woman. And this is the storyline that's, that's going to transgress, you know, that's going to happen. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. And verses 3 to 5, it says, He was speaking, <clears throat> as he was speaking, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? Now, in the religious time of that age, it wasn't a, an issue of whether, what the punishment was. They wanted to make sure that she got punished because the law required it. It wasn't something out within the scope of the law to let her get away with it. That wasn't the choice. That wasn't the option. And here they thought, man, this is what we're going to do here. We know that Moses says, the law says the stoner. And I'm for the law on certain issues. I want the law to be enforced, and so do you. God has a law for a reason to, dis, to keep criminals from wanting to commit crimes. I don't want criminals to get, around, get away with their punishment. So, and that's kind of the scene. They wanted Jesus to... Uh, to do the, do the just do's. They wanted to catch him in something. And there's no, <clears throat> there's no concern for the woman at all. Of course, she was in a bad situation. I don't know if they set up the woman. They, you know, they could have done that. No, the Pharisees, it wouldn't be past their realm to do that. I kind of think that maybe they did because I want to know where's the man? There was a man involved in here. So there was a man that was there. I don't know whether they found some good-looking hunk out there to seduce this woman. I don't have no idea. But I'm inclined to believe that this was a trap that was set somehow, some way, 
because there's no man that was drugged into judgment too because it isn't the woman that was just the one that was required to be judged. It was the man too because they both committed adultery. I don't know which one of them was married. It was either the woman or the man. I have no idea which one. But it didn't matter. They were both guilty. But the man got away scot-free. They weren't even there. So I don't know. That's what I said. That's why I'm inclined to think that, you know, she maybe was set up. Said, hey, come on, you go do this, and then we'll let you go. Okay, you know, I'm going to do my duty for the church. I want to do this for God. I'm going to go commit adultery for the Lord. <laughs> that's kind of probably what happened. I have no idea. But that leaves me to think that that's probably what happened. Otherwise, they would have br- drugged the man up there too because they were both just as guilty. But they didn't, so... <clears throat> And I don't know why. And to be caught in the very act, that means there was no question of what they were doing. They were in bed at the time together. So they were very, very, uh, they were actually caught. There was no uh, question about their guilt at this moment. And they both, according to the law, had deserved to be stoned because that was the penalty for it. Man, they had some strict penalties back then. Now, I'm not sure that I, you know, like all the penalties they had back then, but I think it was a pretty good deterrent. You know, I think Tiger Woods might have thought twice if that was the requirement. Stoning is for the requirement for adultery. I, you know, he might have thought I have been a little more careful. I have no idea. But anyway, that's, I'm glad that some of the things have changed, but I think that we've reverted to the opposite end of the guilt factor and to where it's no big deal. What a big deal. So I committed adultery. So what? Who cares? Didn't hurt anybody else? Well... You heard a lot of people. He heard a lot of people, not only his family, but his fans and all kinds of things because anything that we do affects other people. Whether we, we acknowledge it or not, it affects other people. It's kind of like a domino effect. You do this and it knocks down this domino, knocks down this domino. And I don't know whether his um, wife will forgive him. I have no idea. I don't know what's going to go on there. But anyway, that's another issue. But here we have this poor woman that, you know, she's staring at death in the face. Because she had been condemned. She was on death row. And she didn't get no appeals. She didn't get no time for the governor to come in. He didn't have all those things. Because you did it, you were out, and you were judged. It was just that quick. They didn't mess around back then. Uh, verse 6 uh, tells us what the, why they did this and why I think that the, she, uh, she was set up. They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his fingers. See, their motives were to trap Jesus. They didn't care about breaking the law. They didn't care about anything else. They just wanted to trap Jesus. They wanted to be able to use something that he said during this period of time in order to trap him so they'd get the people from following him. And they figured, man, I've got him. We've got him because he isn't going to go against the law of Moses. Surely he isn't. We've got him. And then when he convicts her and, and says, go ahead and stone her, now we can use that in our next Sunday sermon. The pastor of the Jewish church, the new leader of the church, killed a woman. <laughs> so I can, I can just hear the headlines that they already had already written, all ready to go. Now, Jesus, he initially ignores them. And sometimes that's what we need to do when we're being accused of something is just ignore them. We can't get involved in some of this stuff that people say about us or about our religion or anything else like that. Sometimes we just got to ignore it. If we can ignore it, I think we should. Because sometimes we, we battle back and forth with people and it causes more damage than if you just ignored it. So maybe some things we need to just ignore. And that's what Jesus did. He ignored it. <clears throat> In verse 7, 
because the, continue, the Pharisees weren't, weren't happy with They didn't like being ignored. Some people you just can't ignore. No matter how hard you try to ignore somebody, they're going to keep pressing and they're going to keep after you until you need to say something. And then, okay, all right, you asked for it. I'm going to tell you. <laughs> and I've done that with people. You know, you want to know it? Okay, I'll tell you the truth. This is the way it is. You don't like it? Too bad. You asked for it. In verse uh, 7, they kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle with the woman. Now, it doesn't say what Jesus wrote. I'd, you know, I'd like to have been a, been a fly on the wall or shoulder of the Pharisees and actually seen what he wrote, because it was, must have been pretty important <laughs> to what he wrote. And, of course, they didn't, it isn't included in the Bible, and I think that that's a good thing, because now we can kind of fill in the blanks what we want. There's a lot of sermons I've heard about that what he wrote and a lot of differences of opinion. And uh, I'm kind of at the, uh, at the idea that uh, I think he started writing some of the sins of the people that was there. I think that personally that's what he wrote and I, to, to get the reaction that, that he got. Now, in the Jewish custom, someone had to cast the first stone. It wasn't like say, okay, one, two, three, everybody throws your rocks. That isn't the way it was. Somebody had to cast the first stone. And usually it was the witnesses that were testifying against the person. They were the ones that were required to cast the first stone because they're the ones that, that seen it. They're the ones that were uh, uh, going to testify to this. In this case, this was the Pharisees. And they'd caught her red-handed. There wasn't any, uh, any decision on whether she was guilty or not because she was caught in the act of adultery. And there's nothing in this scripture that says she wasn't guilty. Nothing. So she was guilty. And I'm reminded back to that play that we did. And, and G, uh, Randy, he played a Pharisee. He played the head Pharisee. So he was the one that was yanking, having his comrades yank the woman down the aisle. And they all come down and they had their rocks in their hand. They were ready to go to town. And they were standing around and they were ready. And they thought, man, we've got him now. We're ready to go. Okay, Jesus, just pronounced sentence. And man, we're, we're ready here. So they were ready to cast the stones upon this woman. And they were, they were so they were excited about it. They're probably the only time they were excited and really excited about it because they wouldn't care about the woman. But man, we got Jesus. We got him. He's been running, running ramshot all the way through our Jewish traditions and everything. And he's been doing all these things. He's been forgiving people of their sin. And he's been healing the sick. And we don't like it because all of a sudden they're giving their offerings to him and we're not getting as much money. They were jealous of Jesus. And that was the whole problem that was there. They didn't accept him as the Messiah even though they're the ones that should have recognized him. Well, he didn't. They didn't. And so they wanted to get rid of him. He was messing with their religion, and he didn't like it. They didn't like it. We don't like it sometimes when, when we hear hard preaching either, do we? Man, I'll tell you, sometimes I've heard some, some hard preaching, and I go home with bruises. I go, wow, ow, ew, ow, because I get beat up pretty good. But we need, to, we need that sometimes in our life, because if we don't get that hard preaching sometimes, we're going to just go on our merry old way thinking things are okay. When God wants us to make some changes in our life. So sometimes we need that. But they didn't like it. And so when they didn't like it, the best recourse they had was, we got to get rid of this guy. He's ruining everything for us. And so that's what we have. This scene is, and then the, not only the, the witnesses, then it falls to the responsibility of the oldest in the group. 
kind of, it was, they respected age back then. We don't now in our society. We don't expect, respect older people like they did back then. I know that uh, I think a lot of the Navajo in their tradition, they do respect the elderly. They, they figure that they're wiser than they are and they listen to them. Our society, we don't care. When you get old, we throw you out. We want to throw you out on the dump heap. And now with all these medical things they were trying to put into law, they, want, they don't want us to have any Medicare either. They want us to just go home and die quietly because you're sucking up too many benefits. Who cares if you paid your whole life for them? <laughs> don't matter. When you get old, man, we're throwing you out. Well, see, in this tradition, in this society, it was the old people that they looked to for wisdom. So it was the old people that were, after the witnesses didn't want to throw the first stone, then it fell to the, to the eldest first because somebody had to do it. And that's kind of like a mob mentality. You get a mob together, somebody's got to start it. Somebody's got to be the initiator. And so somebody had to cast that first stone. But then we have the older people there. Now, they're the ones that's, you know, they're all ready to throw these stones, and I can just see them. Man, I'm ready. Man, come on, Jesus. Just, just say the word, man. I'm ready. And all of a sudden, like I said, that's why I think they've seen them writing the sins on the ground, and people didn't know it. But, man, I'll tell you, I'm standing there, and I'm looking. I don't want Jesus writing any of my sins on the ground. How about you? Man, I'd want to get out of that place, too. <laughs> So, and just as we had in the scene of our master mender play, we have, the, we have the Pharisees, and they're sitting there looking, and, and what he's writing in our play, of course, is, becomes a big issue. And they're kind of, you know, trying to look and trying to see what he's writing on the ground, and they kind of see it, and then you can just kind of see, you know, from the oldest to the young, and you can see them, they kind of, oh, man, and they just kind of throw the rock down, and they kind of sneak out of the crowd, and then pretty soon, then the next guy comes up, and then the next guy, and pretty soon all that's standing there is the young guys. Well, the young guys, they really don't have any wisdom. They just come and showed up for the mob. We get a lot of people that just show up because they heard a noise, and man, I want to join in. I want to be a part of this. I want to grow up to be a religious person. Maybe I want to be a rabbi someday, so I'm going to go in there and I'm going to participate. We get a lot of participators in things that happen in this world. Man, I'll tell you, somebody starts something, and man, before you know it, we got mobs going and they're breaking in stores and they're tearing things out of the stores and they're robbing things and causing all kinds of damage, which I don't understand. You, your team wins the Super Bowl and you go down town and you turn over cars and you start fires and you break windows. Wow. Somebody starts those things and it's just one little thing that starts it. Just one person starts it. So all of a sudden everyone's gone because, like I said, I think they started seeing the sins of the... Uh, that Jesus was right, and they say, man, I'm getting out of here. I don't want to know that. <clears throat> so, but Jesus always was two steps ahead of them. That's what I think is so great about this story. He knew that he brought on them, not for justice. He didn't bring that woman there for justice, but they wanted to see what he was going to do about it. Is he going to go against the law and show the people that he really isn't the Messiah. He really isn't the one they're looking for because he don't even obey the law of Moses. How could he be the religious leader? How could he be a rabbi that the people should follow? But Jesus was always two steps ahead. And, you know, it's just amazing when you look at Jesus' response to these situations that he has because he's always ahead of them. He's always ahead of them. And if we can get our life to God and let him lead us, we'll be ahead of the enemy too. And we can respond in similar ways that Jesus responds to these kind of things. And we don't have to let the religious leaders or the, whoever in the area might be trap us if we just give our hearts to God and let God speak through us. And he can let us be ahead of them. 
Now, when Jesus was left there with the woman, and we sit there and we look, because Jesus was actually the only one that could have cast the first stone because of his, his uh, requirement for justice. Okay, we'll have justice, but everyone is without sin. Let him cast the first stone. So Jesus was the only one that legitimately could have cast the first stone because he's the only one that hadn't sinned. Now, I know we look at people sometimes and we think that, you know, they really deserve what they got, and that's true. I, uh, Saddam Hussein got what he deserved for all the atrocities and things that he did. And if someone by Bin Laden, if we ever catch him, he's going to deserve whatever he gets. See, but we have a tendency to think that some sins are worse than others. We think that, well, you know, that's okay. You know, we have uh, these great sins. They deserve punishment. They deserve God's hand of judgment upon their lives. Because, man, they sin great sins. But we realize that in... Um, uh, Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, we think that God is, is okay with some sin. Some sin is it's okay with sin. God. Some sin's okay. And some kin, it's sin isn't okay. These great big sins, you know, if you have a uh, Hitler uh, accumulation of sin, yeah, God's going to hate him. He deserves to go to hell. But see, in God's eyes, there's no difference in sin. There's a sin, the sins that, that Hitler committed, God don't like, but he don't like the little white lie we might have told. Because sin is sin. And he doesn't say in this that if you've only committed adultery, or if you've only killed somebody, or if you've only... Well, he didn't break it down. He says sin, period. Any sin. Because any sin separates us from God. It doesn't matter what sin is. It doesn't matter what it is. We're all guilty. And we all deserve punishment because, and Christ said the punishment is death. I do believe there's levels of hell. Of course, my you don't hear my personal theory of hell? <laughs> I think that when people go to hell, that they're going to give, and give God's attitude towards sin, and then their whole life is just going to play over and over and over again in their own mind. So the worse your sin is, you got God's attitude towards sin, the worse it's going to be for you. No, I, I don't know if that's the case or not, but that's the only way, you know, kind of seems fair because the more sin you do, God punishes you more according to your sin. And if you got a little sin, hell's going to be hell, so I don't want to go to even to the little place that's, you know, <laughs> if all I did was tell one little white lie. If I have God's attitude toward that little white lie and that's rolled over and over and over again in my mind for eternity, I ain't going to like that, let alone being Hitler or someone else. But anyway, that's... That's not gospel. That's the gospel according to Sandra. So it's, it's okay. But, you know, you're entitled, everybody's entitled to opinion. But it makes sense to me. And so it's all right. But see, Jesus doesn't excuse sin. We need to understand that. See, Jesus isn't accusing, uh, excusing, excusing sin. And he never will. He can't. God hates sin. He hates sin because it separates us from him. That's why he hates it so much. We were one. He created us to have fellowship with him. He created us to love him and to, to, have, to talk and walk and talk with him and live our lives in his presence. But this sin just forced us out of his presence. I don't know whether you've ever had magnets with, uh, where you got the opposite, negative and positive things of, mag, uh, of a magnet, and you try to pull those magnets together, and they just repulse each other. You just cannot put them together. But if you turn the polarity of that magnet, they're like that. And that's what God wants to do. He wants to change the plurality 
polarity, there we go, of our lives so we can be attracted instead of repelled. Because if we get in God's presence in our sinful state, it'd kill us. And God doesn't want to kill us. That isn't his will for our life. He doesn't want to do that. He doesn't want to be the one to condemn us. He's not the accuser. See, Jesus wasn't the one accusing this lady. <clears throat> Though we deserve punishment, Christ isn't, the, isn't our accuser. He has a different role. And we see that in verse uh, 10. It said, Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Wow. See, he had to add that neither do I condemn thee because until then he couldn't condemn her because he was the only one that was without sin. He was the only one that had the legitimate right to condemn her. And what did he do? He did not choose to condemn her. And that's exciting to me that he didn't want to condemn her. He, didn't, he did everything he could not to condemn her because he didn't want to because he loved this woman even though she was caught red-handed in sin, in sin that required death. He didn't want to kill her. He loved her. And I don't want to kill somebody I love, do you? And so he found a way within his own self to be able to get out of this situation and yet still follow up with God's law. See, Jesus didn't come to, to condemn us. <clears throat> See, and this, this woman got a pardon. She went there not expecting to die, just like this man in the story we, I talked about earlier. She came and she was guilty. I don't know whether this guy was guilty or not, but she was guilty. And she deserved the penalty. And we, sometimes we do things and we deserve the penalty that we have coming to us. If you're caught speeding and you get a ticket, you deserved it because you broke the law. We can gripe all we want about it, but if we were speeding, we have no, no recourse. We were guilty. Pay the fine. See, that's what happens in our life, too. We are guilty. But see, we can't pay the fine. And Jesus knew that because only someone without sin could pay the fine. Only someone without sin could not, ha not condemn this woman that was caught guilty in her sin. See, Jesus didn't want to condemn us. That wasn't his choice. He didn't want to do that. But the law requires us. And so this woman who was coming thinking she was going to die, she found grace. And grace is a pardon she didn't deserve. She didn't deserve grace. She was guilty. And she got mercy because mercy meant that she didn't get what she was entitled to. She was entitled to death and she didn't get it. So she got grace and mercy all that one day. She learned something. And when we come to God, we learn something. We learn something about grace and we learn something about mercy. And it'd be nice if we sensed the same thing that this woman sensed on that day. Because in reality, that's what happened to us. We're sinners and the, and, and the devil's dragging us down and throwing us at the feet of Jesus and said, this is what the law says. The law says they're supposed to die. What do you say? What have you got to say about this, Jesus? A little boy was visiting his grandparents and was given a, his first slingshot, slingshot. He practiced in the woods but could, not, could never hit his target. As he came back to Grandma's backyard, he spied her pet duck. On an impulse, he took aim and let fly. The stone hit, and the duck fell to the dead. 
The boy panicked. Desperately, he hid the duck in the woodpile, only to look up and see his sister watching. Sally had seen it all. Isn't that the way it is? There's always somebody watching. That's why you're not supposed to do anything, because there'll always be somebody watching, and it'll be somebody in the church. <laughs> Sally had seen it all, but she said nothing. After lunch that day, Grandma said, Sally, let's wash the dishes. Now, I'm not happy about having to Sally to have to wash the dishes in the first place anyway. Uh, you know, I think the little boy should have done it anyway. But anyway, but Sally said, Johnny told me he wanted to help in the kitchen today. Didn't you, Johnny? And as she whispered to him, remember the duck. So Johnny did the dishes. Later, Grandpa asked if the children wanted to go fishing. Grandpa, Grandma said, I'm sorry, but I need Sally to help make supper. See, the women, we really get raked up. We don't get to have any fun, do we? And Sally smiled and said, that's all taken care of. Johnny wants to do it. Again, she whispered, remember the duck. Johnny stayed while Sally went fishing. After several days of Johnny doing both his chores and Sally's, finally he couldn't stand it any longer. He confessed to Grandma that he had killed the duck. I know, Johnny, she said, giving him a hug. I was standing at the window and saw the whole thing. Because I love you, I forgave you. I just wondered how long you would let Sally make you a slave. <laughs> and that's what happens in our life, isn't it? God knows we sin. He's seen us do it. He was there. He's seen everything that we've done. And we sit there and we just let the devil just lord it over our heads and then he just punishes with us and he accuses with us. And maybe it's somebody that's seen us do it. And they just said, how in the world can you be a Christian? I know what you did. And we have a lot of people in our past that could say that. We know what your life was like. How do you, what makes you think you're so religious all of a sudden? Have you had those people? If you were raised in church, you don't have so many people like that. But we weren't. So we had a lot of people, you know, that say, hey, what makes you think you're so righteous and whatever? Which we didn't, of course, because they don't understand salvation. But they were right there accusing us, and they probably talked about us behind our back. I'm sure they did. So all the Coltons, they got religion. Wonder how long that's going to last. Hope it don't last too long because I'm missing our, our drinking parties that we had, so I hope it doesn't last too long. But sooner after, they, after a while, they gave up and they didn't want to associate it with us anymore because we weren't any more fun anymore. Of course, fun, I don't know what fun they talk about. They'd get drunk, you get drunk, pass out, have a hangover. Man, that's fun, isn't it? Or you wake up with your head in the toilet. I've done that. How did I get here? I don't know. By the grace of God, I got here somehow. <laughs> but boy, did we have fun. There were times we didn't have hangovers, but anyway. <clears throat> but that's kind of what happens. You know, we spend our life in bondage to our sin. And we know in our own hearts that we're guilty. And we know everything that we've done is displeasing to God. And we let the devil just beat us down, and we beat us down, and beat us down. But see, we have verse 11 that says, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. I'm excited about those words. Now, I don't know. We sit there and we think that, well, all Jesus was doing was telling this woman to, to get up and fry right. You know, quit everything that you're doing and knock it off. And to a certain degree, I think that that's what he did. But I think there's something else going on here that we're not catching. And I think that what Jesus is saying with these words when he says, go and sin no more, I think he's empowering her. 
He's changing her life. She's being transformed because that would be some kind of a transformation that would have happened in her life. All of a sudden from death to freedom and forgiveness. Now something else had to happen because you figure that this woman, if she isn't stoned to death, everyone in town knows what happened to her. I mean, it wasn't like now. Well, actually, it's probably just like ours. You know, you, uh, front page of news. They got video of it and everything, you know, and show it on the 10 o'clock, 6 o'clock news. Oh, sister so-and-so is down here at the thing and, you know, caught in adultery, you know. In this small town, I say you do that something like this small town, I'll tell you, you'd have a hard time living it down. Happened to me, man, I'd have to move. But see, she got an empowerment. It doesn't say anything about this woman living, leaving town and trying to run away from what happened to her life. No, I think she was empowered by Jesus to go and sin no more. He forgave her. He removed the condemnation in her life, and he empowered her to go and sin no more. And that same empowerment that he has is for us, too. Now, last week we talked about the cripple that Jesus spoke the words and said, rise and walk. But the, the cripple had to rise and walk. And this woman had to respond to what Jesus spoke to her. She could have just laid there on the ground in her sin and wallowed around and, and cried, and said, oh, I'm so guilty, and I had all this stuff, and just cried and moaned and groaned about something. But she didn't. You know, I believe she got up and said, thank you, Jesus, hugged Jesus, and just was so excited about being free and about being saved because she was saved. And I believe her life was transformed. And that's what Jesus wants to do, do in our lives. Carl Menninger, famed psychiatrist, said that if we could convince the patients in a psychiatric hospital that their sins are forgiven, 75% of them could walk out the next day. That seems like an amazing thing to me. But see, we live in a society that we, we have a hard time. You know, we can forgive other people sometimes, but we have a hard time forgiving ourselves. And we think that whatever happens to us sometimes, oh, I deserve everything I get. And so they have a hard time, and certain people, they just put so much... Uh, condemnation upon their own lives it ruins their lives they end up on uh drugs to deal with life anxiety drugs depression all these other things and a lot of it is because they feel like they've sinned and they can't be forgiven even though in our minds we think man what's the big deal about your sin i did worse than that but some people they just feel condemned and so much and they let the devil beat them up and they lord it over them and they keep every time he try to do something good the devil says remember the duck or remember this sin, or remember that sin. See, the devil tries that with me, too, a lot of times. I don't know where he does it with you, but he does it to me. He's all the time throwing up some of my past into my face. But see, i got to say, hey, he said, neither do I condemn you. Jesus, forgive me. And I don't have to deal. listen to you, devil. Get out of the way. Praise God. Hallelujah. I'm excited. I'm saved. I'm redeemed. And I'm not condemned. So, we need to do a little bit more of this to the devil <laughs> because we need to put him in his place. So he want, Jesus wants to transform us. He doesn't want to just forgive us. He wants to transform us from the inside out. And that's where it has to happen. It has to happen in here. <clears throat> See, Jesus didn't, didn't forgive the woman, or he doesn't forgive us, so we can go on sinning. He forgave us and wants to transform us so we can stop. That's the key. He doesn't want us to keep on sinning. He died so we could quit sinning. I know sometimes we still mess up, well, we want to do what's right, and when we do mess up and we do something we know we shouldn't do, we ask forgiveness of it, uh, for doing it. And then that, at that moment, we're forgiven, and the condemnation's gone. He's not going to condemn us anymore. We don't have to be condemned. We've got forgiveness. 
<clears throat> no one loves us more than Jesus does. We need to understand that. How much Jesus loves us. When our kids mess up and they do something, we forgive them, don't we? We wouldn't want to send them to, to jail for the rest of their life for something they did against us. We wouldn't want to do that. We'd go to prison for them because we love our kids. Well, Jesus loves us, and we've got to remember how much he loves us. He loved us so much that he didn't want that relationship to stay severed. He didn't want to be the polarity of the magnet. He wanted to do something to reverse that polarity on that magnet so we can be drawn to him. And that's what he wanted to do. And the only way he could do that was to die. Now, that takes a lot of love. I meant if you require me to die for you, you know, I may think about it. <laughs> but it'd be awful hard. And if, even if I did, it wouldn't do you any good because I can't die for your sin. No matter how much I may want to or how, how much you would like to die for your kid's sin, you can't do it. Only an unsin an sacrifice is required, and Jesus was the only one that could do it. See, now this guy, Aaron Peterson, when he got out of, got out of prison, they, they showed a picture of him walking down the streets, free as a bird. But you figure, you look at this guy, what is he free to, free from? He's freed from death, but what is he free to do? I mean, he spent 16 years in prison. For 16 years, he was locked up. And he's still, I don't care what the circumstances are, he's still going to spend the rest of his life in some kind of bondage because he's had 16 years of being told what to do, when to eat, when to sleep, when to do this, when to do that. And you don't break 16 years of bondage overnight without God. Without Jesus' power, you can't do it. See, this man wasn't transformed, he was just pardoned. And the pardon is there for everybody if they want it. But see, Jesus wants to transform us. So when we get out of the bondage or we get out of the prison where we're in bondage to Satan and we're in bondage to our sin and we're in bondage to the, the, this world and the environment of this world, he doesn't want to leave us there. He wants to transform us. He wants to change us so we can live above this world. So we don't have to sin anymore. We can do what God wants us to do and live better lives. That's what God's will is for our life. When we're pardoned by trusting in Jesus' death that he paid for our cross, on the cross, he sets us free, he empowers us to be free, and he fills us with purpose. It gives you a purpose. Because we have to have a reason for being. If we don't have a reason to exist, what's the purpose? What's, what, what's the use of living? If we have no reason to get up in the morning, what kind of life is that? We've got to have a goal. We've got to have a purpose in our life. We're purpose-driven person, people. Uh, Rick Warner wrote that book, The Pur Purpose-Driven Life, and sold millions and millions and millions of copies of it because we are purpose-driven, and we want a purpose for our life. Well, Jesus gave us a purpose. He said, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. I want to transform you. I want to give you a purpose in your life. Maybe you're here this morning and you're feeling condemned because of some things that you've done. You don't have to be condemned. In John 3.17, it says, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. See, Jesus didn't want to condemn us. His death wasn't all about condemnation. It was all about salvation. It was all about transformation. And the only way we can utilize his gift that he gave is by accepting him as our personal Savior. And it's really easy to do. Because he says, I'm not the one that's going to condemn you. Go and sin no more. Come to me. I paid the penalty for your sin. I'm the one that did it for you because I love you. And all we have to do is accept that gift. Let's pray. <clears throat>
Our precious Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you for this day, Lord, and we're thankful, Lord, that, that you didn't come to condemn us. Lord, you come to redeem us and to save us, Lord, and you called us by name, and you said, come unto me if you're heavy laden and burdened down with sin, and I will give you rest. I will give you forgiveness. I will grant you the desires of your heart. I will give you a purpose in your life because I know you better than anyone else, and he loves us more than anyone could even imagine, and I thank you for that. Now, if you're here this morning, you say, you know, I kind of feel a little condemned this morning. But I don't want to feel condemned. I want to accept Christ into my life, and I want to accept his forgiveness because I want my life to change. I want to be transformed. I want whatever it is that, that he's talking about here. Let me see your hand this morning if that's you. 